0: Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's September the 8th, 2021, and I'm coming to you with Dr. Rick from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are joined by another great panel of folks. Who uh, are going to help us talk about international adoption in 40 years of history at lifeline and how international adoption has played such a huge piece of that and the exciting piece is at the end we're also going to talk about how we're starting to see Uh, around the world domestic adoption happening and how we're able to help encourage the church, the global church, to encourage their members to foster and to adopt and to to do things in a domestic sense that care for the global orphan and the global child who's vulnerable. But before we do, I want to remind you about the Defender Bible Study. This is another free weekly resource podcast for you. It's led by a Lifeline staff member. It features an in-depth study of a portion of scripture, or we have gone through books as well, like Plain Theology for Plain People. Currently, we are studying the book of Romans, And so you can see our show notes and listen wherever you find your podcast, the Defender Bible Study. And one last thing I'll say about the Defender Bible Study is every Monday, we are committed to opening up the Word as a staff, praying together and praying around the world for the countries that we work in. And this is a great time for you to be able to get like a front row seat, a glimpse into that time by going to the Defender Bible Study to hear what we're studying and to hear what we're praying about together. I know that even as we look at 40 years of ministry, Lifeline uh, started in September of 1981, and so it's been exactly 40 years that this ministry has been going. And, And we started last week really just talking about the domestic ministry and how impactful that domestic ministry has been and how we see even growth in the domestic ministry happening now. But today we're going to talk about international ministry and specifically international adoption. And I know that even last week you talked about some of the things that led you to Lifeline and the commitment to Christ and discipleship, but international adoption is a part of your story as well. And so I know this is special for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Herbie. I I think we, you know, as I was thinking about even preparing for this podcast, um, the, one of the things that, that I knew first about Lifeline was international adoption. And, you know, of course, God built our family through international adoption. And so that's been a, you know, that's been a, a huge heart, a huge heart connection always. Um, but I was, I was privileged to serve in a church. Um, it was actually the, the church that I served in when we wrote Orphanology um, and had the opportunity to walk with a lot of families who were adopting um, through Lifeline. And over and over and over, brother, I saw the way that families were cared for and the way that they were discipled. through that process. And, and really like, that's, that's kind of what led me to lean in and begin and, and build a greater relationship with a lot of the folks at Lifeline, just because I was, I was so profoundly impressed by the way that our families were, were cared for. And so, you know, when I, when I look around at the, co- the collection of people that we're going to have the opportunity to talk Today, um, I'm proud to call them friends. Um, but you know, there's there's also um, just kind of a real soft spot in my heart. Like I almost I get it, I get emotional. You know, even as I think about um, without without people committed to Christ and without people committed to vulnerable children like these ladies, um, my family wouldn't be the family that it is today. And and so I'm just incredibly incredibly thankful for. Um, for uh, for people in the heritage since 1999, right? That um, that Lifeline's been able to walk through this opportunity, and so many people that have been able to be a part of that journey uh, to to build families and to care for families, and uh, and and ultimately even to to lead um, adoption culture within countries now, and and just all the things that God's given us to do, and so. Uh, it's with great excitement that um, you know I'm ready to get to it. Let's I'm going to stop talking and let's let's get to the to the people that are really important.
0: Yes, yeah, so we're blessed today to have joined with us really the the three ladies that make up our international adoption team that lead that team uh, with such prestige and honor and excellence. We have Carla Thrasher, who our international adoption director. We have Jana Lombardo, who is our senior program director for international adoption, and then we have Beth Perez. Uh, And I'm sorry for all of you that are listening. I will probably call her sassy at some point. Uh, It's a habit. And so if you hear me say sassy, that's Beth Perez. Uh, And we can go into stories about that much later on a different podcast. But let's start with uh, Carla. Carla, you know, you've worked for many years uh, in the China program. And China was our first program. And even referencing what Dr. Rick said, is that program really started towards the end of 1999, really the beginning of 2000. And what, China ha- what happened in China is there were just a lot of, of, of people that were working from their kitchen table, helping facilitate adoptions from China. It wasn't as organized as it is today. And uh, a, a lady from Huntsville calls down and says, I've been told I either have to get licensed or pass this on to a licensed agency. And because y'all have a commitment to Christ, I want to pass it along to you. Uh, and that started Lifeline's long uh, and and really great history which is now over more than half of our history includes adoption from China tell us a little bit about that that decision for lifeline to get engaged in international adoption in China and what you've seen and how you've seen that program grow and flourish over the years
2: absolutely one of my very favorite things to talk about so as herbie said I um, the Lifeline China program was the result of a rule change in China on the China side. And then the blessing of the relationship with a facilitator named Chuyang that many of you may know as Lily. Um, we started, you know, um, started the program just kind of not, not really knowing what to expect, just knowing we were, we were called to this. Um, and over the past, I guess, almost, 21 years now, we have seen you know thousands of children be placed um, through our China and other international programs, and you know the the catalyst for Lifeline wanting to be involved in international adoption is is obviously the call to place children um, in in Christian missional families but also just international adoption being the vehicle that has allowed us to take the gospel into so many countries. Um, it's so many different opportunities. Um, we you know, start programs utilizing international adoption. And from there, we make relationships with government officials. We've made relationships with people on the ground. All of which have resulted at some point in being able to share the gospel or even just being the hands and feet of Jesus to people groups that we have just come to come to love. And I think China, you know, like most of our other programs, one of our strengths in international adoption has been that we have been we feel like we're the ministry that is called to the most vulnerable children. So under Herbie's leadership, you know, I can re- recount so many times that he has said, "Yes, that the young children with the minor needs, yes, they need homes, but y'all, let's really focus on these children that don't have groups of people lined up, you know, waiting to adopt them. Let's focus on the sibling groups and the older children, and the kids that have the more severe needs that may not, you know, have have the best opportunities." Um, to be adopted and I think that's been just part of our strength in relationship. Governments that really kind of took notice that we were a little bit different than most of the other agencies and I'm really proud of that.
0: Yeah and I, I love how even to that point that that we've been able not just in China but really throughout the world to pivot where we need to pivot uh, change. We need to change, and certainly, this is a world that is constantly changing. The world of international adoption, and even when you look at China, remember when I started in two thousand eighteen. Uh, it was May two thousand eighteen. May two thousand and three. Eighteen years ago, May two thousand and three. With it, about November. So just a short six months later, we were already getting a visit by Chuyang Young Lily to talk to us about more uh, changes that were happening. In the China program. And at that time, it looked like we were going to have to get licensed in every state by which we had families we were working with because there was like a quota system. And so what a lot of people don't know is it was actually China that caused us to get licensed in Washington st- state because we had so many families from Washington state that were adopting from China. And then we get licensed in Washington state and they decide not to do the quota system. So, so many changes and I think one of the things that the Lord has allowed us to do is to be able to pivot, to be able to look to see what the need is. And I think because we've stayed missional to the commitment, we've always looked to say, what child has the need that we can help find that need for? What child needs a family? What child is, the, is in the most severe need? And let's move towards that need. And, and as we look, Biblically, that's what Christ did. He, he went to where there was the most need uh, and, and he moved to those places. And so grateful that the Lord has allowed us to do that. You know, right as I was coming on in 2003, uh, that summer, we actually had our first several families come home from Ukraine to bring home children. And uh, it was an exciting time. And, and I, I'll never forget my first meeting uh, with with this with Jana. It was Jana and Donna Houston. And they came in to tell me about Ukraine and, and, and everything that was going on in Ukraine. And who would have thought that some 18 years later that we've seen so many kids impacted through that ministry and through adoption from Ukraine? And, and even as Dr. Rick started, that's that's a that's a big part of his heart, is all three of his children were born in Ukraine. And so Jana, I think the, the great thing is you start back from uh, a family and, and I'll never forget a story that y'all told me that summer about them losing their passport um, in the in the storm sewer drain and finding it at the last minute to be able to travel. To think that that's gone from those days to now so many different countries in Bulgaria and in Hungary and in Kyrgyzstan and, and, and Latvia and to see the way that these programs, Poland, have, have blossomed. Tell us a little bit about the history and kind of your involvement in our Eurasia programs and why they're so special.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Herbie. So, of course, you know, this is near and dear to my heart. Um, My passion uh, is a better way to say it. I might get a little teary-eyed like Rick did a little bit ago, but, you know, when we started Ukraine um, years ago, 20 years ago, um, my parents had gone on a mission trip to Ukraine and their translator on that trip, said, "Do you know anybody that will uh, would want to do it? That would want to facilitate adoptions from the states?" Well, my parents, of course, especially my mom at the time, said, "Well, what you don't know is that my daughter works for Lifeline Children Services, an adoption agency in the states." And so from there, it just quickly. Uh, Ukraine quickly got off the ground. We figured out how to do things, and um, we we were steady, you know, really steady in this program for for quite some time. Uh, and then about nine years after that, we had been real steady in Ukraine, still steady in Ukraine. We quickly got into Hungary and into Bulgaria, and from there, Poland and Kyrgyzstan and Romania and Latvia and Macedonia and. I think what in the world, after I say all of that, like what in the world, uh, did we do, but God has just been so faithful to bless the, the efforts and the time and just confirm to us that this is where he wanted Lifeline to be. Um, I can't, I can't just you know, thinking of those early days and thinking, I can't figure all of this out. I don't know what I'm doing. But how faithful God was to help us get the right people, talk to the right people with, as Carla even said earlier, with the foundation of the gospel and doing things the right way and doing things the ethical way and being able to. Um, connect with brothers and sisters in Christ in these countries. And we're working with them. We're spending time with them on the phone. And I think that's how I, I got one of my, kind of my, not my nickname, but one of the things that I'm really known for is kind of talking pretty loudly. And that's all attributed to being, trying to talk to my team on the ground in Ukraine on the phone before we had Zoom, before we had Skype, before we had all the things on the phone while he was in the car driving somewhere. And so, uh, you know, just looking back on all of those things very fondly. And I mean, the numbers of children that have come home and Carla said it to you, special needs children that would have been less than um, and left out of being with a mom and dad and those children who have thrived, you know, in such loving homes and environments. It's just something that my passion is still as great as it was 20 years ago when we first started Ukraine and um, just so thankful for Lifeline and our, and our commitment together as a team to grow these programs and, and, and share the gospel as we're doing it. And, and these children that are coming home, it's just unbelievable.
0: It's hard to believe that all of these programs really started in a small room Uh, in a little old converted house way back in the day where everybody was in the room. And even as you are talking about the phone, uh, I'm reminded of, you know, one of my two favorite interventions or or interactions with Jana, you or Donna were one, when I got an emergency call saying you needed more money on your phone card because you were trying to to get in touch with folks in ukraine and a lot of people listening to this go phone card what um, <laughs> but th- that's the only way we could make you know international calls without paying an arm and a leg for them that and then the most precious thing that i loved was when a new child would come home and their picture would get into the scrapbook of the next child that had come home uh, you know god has done so much starting all of that from your parents going on a mission trip to Ukraine. And then one of my favorite stories about Eurasia is when we get a call from a guy that speaks in the third person um, and he's talking about himself and he's saying that he, and, and, and honestly, he was very prideful. He said, you know, I, and I we'll just call him Henry, You know, I, Henry, only work with the best, and Henry wants to work with Lifeline because Henry's told by the U.S. Embassy that Lifeline's the best. And and I remember we were scratching our heads going, we've worked with the embassy long enough to know they're never going to say that one agency is better than another. And what we figured is he had asked for the list of agencies. They gave him the Hague accredited agencies in alphabetical order by state. And because Alabama is the first state, we're at the top of the list. And it's not alphabetized because it's alphabetized by state. And he assumed they're the best yeah. and, uh, and the Lord opened that up. And I mean, Jana, just, I'd love for you just to talk about how you've seen from that accident, really yeah. how we've seen so much happen even in Hungary.
3: Wow. So I, you know, as you say that Herbie, we just celebrated our 101 child that ca- has come home from Hungary and it was a sibling group of three children. So there were 99, 100 and 101. And, I, I think about that. And I think, wow, what an amazing just growth in that program and really just knitting our hearts together with our teammate on the ground um, in, in the way that only God can hmm. um, and being able to minister to him and people in that country. And I think with Hungary and Bulgaria and you can, you know, throw these other uh, Eastern Europe countries in there, and in and, and Ukraine, a population of, of people that are highly discriminated against in the world, and the Roma people group, you know, the slang term is the gypsy people group, and, you know, we have seen so many of our families travel, go home, I mean, travel to Hungary, bring these kiddos home that are discriminated against in their country, and it's just such a treasure to see these children be accepted and loved and valued and where they were in a country where that wasn't the case. And so Hungary has just been a a wonderful country to to work in. Um, I will say probably if if I get to talking about them, they're all going to be my favorites. Uh, One of my favorite countries, of course, Ukraine is one of my favorites and Bulgaria and Kyrgyzstan and Poland and all of the ones that we've been able to to work in. But Hungary, just being able to celebrate just within the last couple of weeks, our 101 kiddo that has come home.
0: What the world would call an accident by this guy that called us. We see a sovereignly appointed of how the Lord has now brought 101 kids home and uh, the Lord sovereignly knew that this is a connection we needed. And, and the other fruit of this last year, and not just to pick on, on, on Hungary for a moment, but we also got to see our teammate come to saving faith in the Lord, which again, we know was sovereignly appointed because that never would have happened um, if we had not been given on a list as the top agency, you know, alphabetized by state. And then another neat thing is I, I, I remember walking into the embassy there in Hungary, the U S embassy for the first time, and I'm about ready to go. How in the world, what happened? And the guy, as I come in, the guy calls me by name and we realize he's the same ambassador that I had just seen six months earlier in Costa Rica. And he had been transferred uh, to Hungary. And that just really even just started us off in trust and to be able to know what was happening. We've seen the Lord do that so many times. And 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 Sassy Beth, I think about the way that that's happened in Latin America as well. And uh, just to, to be funny, you know, the first time we went to Colombia, we thought we were going to find you a husband um, on that first trip. And we we tried to connect you with with every bus driver and everybody we met, and lo and behold, you didn't need our help. You went and found your own husband in Colombia. Uh, but we've seen the Lord work in so many crazy ways in Latin America, too, as he's opened up doors that, that we thought would be closed. But one of the, the doors that I'm, I'm, I'm really, and I'd love for you to talk about Latin America, but do end <laughs> with, because one of the doors that I'm just, has been so exciting to see open is when we first went to Colombia that time, what, now, 10 years ago?
4: years
0: ago, uh, we were told by the government, Hey, you can work here, but we're not going to work with the local church. And now to see over the last year that not only are they working with the local church, but we're able to work with the local church to see families adopt and foster right there in Colombia. And so it's, it's come full circle and we've seen the Lord open up those doors. So tell us a little bit about how you've seen the Lord work in Latin America.
4: Oh, I could talk all day, um, but I'll try to summarize it. Uh, just like Jana and Carla said, but You know, this being a true calling and passion, it just it becomes your family very fast, you know. And um, when I started 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was walking into. And I think Lifeline had just applied to get licensed in five of our six countries in Latin America. We were only licensed in Peru and had done a handful of adoptions in Peru. And just being able to... um, just learn from these awesome ladies on this call and to see how um, they supported families so well and they loved their teammates and country so well and their kids so well. Um, I think that just got me excited about learning Latin America. Um, not knowing that one of the challenges of Latin America is really learning the process. Um, it's a very organic relational culture, not so great at writing things down always. And so I am just eternally grateful for all of our pilot families in each program that walked through um, each country with me and was gracious with me to help me learn the programs and the processes, but as a result, I'm um, just getting really excited to see over the first couple years at Lifeline, how God um, really did just grow a really sweet relational program. The people on the ground, our family, in fact, most of them came to our wedding. And, you know, we just felt like um, immediately that just the culture of Latin America is very relational. They love, love, love their children. Sometimes they just have a lack of resources and need adoptive families to step in um, because they care and because they want the best for their kids. So our our international adoption programs have been amazing. Um, I would say my first five years at Lifeline uh, felt like um, we were a little different, but now I think it's a little more normal when it comes down to the kiddos needing families the most, our older kids and sibling groups and kiddos with bigger special needs. We've done a lot of those adoptions over the years, and it's been really really sweet to see the, like, for example, for sibling groups to stay together. That Mm -hmm. is just like an important thing. These kiddos only have each other in the world and to be able to see family step forward to adopt four or five sibling groups of six, even, you know, and more just to keep them together has just been a true miracle or kiddos who are on the verge of aging out and in Latin America, as much as as most of the world, when a kiddo ages out, it's just, there's not a future for them. Mm -hmm. They're going to be taken advantage of. And um, I think, a couple years ago, it was about five years ago, I remember walking in your office and saying, I felt the Lord was calling me to be in Latin America, and I'll get emotional too. But um, it was just something special happening, and I couldn't put words to it. And um, you guys all supported me and just said, You know, God's calling you, go. And at the time I was thinking, okay, it's international adoption because it is a relational culture. So being able to talk to the governments in person about families and cases and kids, meet the kids, it's been really special. And I just thought, oh man, how great would it be if we just lived here and did that? And um, on a personal and professional level, the Lord had a lot of different plans in store. And so um, being able to first meet my husband was really sweet and living here the last couple of years has been really sweet, but really also professionally. Um, I didn't know that the Lord was going to be opening the door to um, the local church really stepping in. Um, I think that's been probably one of my favorite things of my career is just to see like how the local church in Latin America or how the local governments in Latin America were so concerned about Christians um, proselytizing and, you know, evangelizing the kiddos and brainwashing in their words, the kiddos mm-hmm. this being... Very strongly Catholic influenced backgrounds, but um, Latin Catholic in the sense of probably now even moving more to psychologically based and atheist governments. And they were getting into a position where they wanted nothing to do with religion. And they told us very clearly that we needed to advocate even harder for our families being a Christian agency. Um, Carla has probably seen me cry in her office a couple of times. Cause I was like, why are they asking me all these hard questions? Um, but just being able to see over the last couple of years, because, because I think lifeline does pursue the kiddos who families maybe, or the, the kiddos that are harder to find families for because we're looking for the kiddos that quote unquote, no one wants that are invisible in the system. I think that built in a lot of trust and gave us a lot of gospel opportunities, you know, and in that really being able to transfer that trust to the local church on the ground. And it's just been really exciting. I, again, I could go on forever, but I just think the, the Lord's just been so gracious um, to our family to be able to be part of this story of really helping the local church understand and I know Rick and Herbie y'all been a huge part of this coming and doing conferences with us, but helping the local churches here understand why does God call us to care for the vulnerable and how do we respond as a result? And it's just been really sweet to see our first couple, uh, foster and adoptive families that are local believers step forward, um, and begin that process.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. What a, what an awesome thing to see what the Lord has done and, uh, and, and it just shows you your persistence by faith um, mm-hmm. is, is what continues to open doors and to know that the Lord has called you there. And I mean, even on a personal level for Sassy, her husband, persistence by faith, <laughs> finally um, got her to give in and decide to marry him. So uh, which is a great decision because we all love Oscar so much. Uh, so, Carla, I, I know, though, even as we've talked about the changes we've seen through Lifeline, even over the last couple of minutes, as we've been talking about, you know, it, it will be 20 years since you entered in at Lifeline in three days. In three days on September 11th, you'll have your uh, your Lifeline anniversary. And you've seen adoption change in so many different ways over those last 20 years. Uh, talk, to, talk to us about especially the changes you've seen over the last several years, and, and, and how how things have been impacted.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, over the last several years specifically, um, all of us, all of our countries have, you know, experienced the same situations where we see children getting older at the time of adoption. We see because they're older, their social histories are more complex. You know, the experiences they've had in country in wherever they're living at the time medical needs are becoming more severe or more significant. Um, Part of the contributing factor to this is actually a positive one. Um, The younger children with the more minor needs are being able to be adopted domestically in country, which is a huge, um, a huge step for most of those countries and a huge benefit to those children. Um, But for us, we are seeing... um, the needs, the age, all of those things become more significant, which has caused yeah. us as a ministry to have to pivot as well um, with how we're caring for families. And I think one of the things that I've really noticed over the past few years, um, is just our team, just our, it, it's still very important that our paperwork is excellent, that we're handholding all of those things. But I think watching our team really dig deep and point families to Jesus throughout this process, knowing that ultimately, no matter how hard we work, how fast we work, ultimately it's him that is writing their story. It's him that is going to be the provision and be everything that they need as they're parenting the children that they bring into their home. I think that's been a really neat thing to watch. Um, and just just the just watching the Lord just move all over the world, you know, just the opportunities that are coming every single day. You know, we kind of laugh. It's like fast and furious all the time. But it's amazing because we know it's the Lord bringing these opportunities and really challenging our team, you know, um, to to be able to stay on top of things, to be able to stay on top of our relationship with him, though, first and foremost, and discern what he's bringing to us that is of him, you know, knowing sometimes that we're having to say no when we discern maybe things are not of him. But I think, you know, in the big picture of international adoption, it's all of those things together that bring us to where we are today. And just to echo what everybody you know else has said that this team of people that is allowing the Lord to lead and guide every single day, the amount of hours we spend in prayer together the tears and the laughter and all of those things, I think that is such a contributing factor to how we're able to serve others and to serve children so well, because it is so deeply ingrained in us that this is a gift from him, what we do every day.
0: Yeah, and Jan I just, I even think about the ways that we've changed to meet the needs as well, um, making sure that we're training our families better, that we're supporting them through the long haul. Um, the 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 post adoption support that we provide. Tell us about how you've been able to see Lifeline accommodate the changes that have happened in international adoption.
3: Yeah, so I, you know, you know, when international adoption started at Lifeline, you know, 20 years ago, there were not a lot of things out there. I mean, there were not a lot of resources out there really for anyone adopting internationally. And so as Lifeline has grown in the countries where we have programs, one of the things that we began to truly see a need for was better preparation in our home study process, you know, before our families are bringing their kiddos home and even more so supporting our families uh, after they bring their children home. Because as Beth even alluded to, we've seen more older children um, with, with medical needs and with a lot of behavioral needs as well. And so being able to be part of the changes that we've taken in our preparation process for our families before they bring their children home, kind of in our pre-process, but in in our post-adoption has been really amazing. So kind of in that prep phase for families, we began with um, a training course that we were requiring families to come to in person uh, called Crossings. You know, we did that in in Alabama. We did that some in Georgia. And then quickly after our crossings training, we began to develop uh, our other uh, course. Um, I don't really call it a course. I kind of want to call it like a a weekend and a a community of uh, families who were coming into what we call rooted in love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is a weekend for families, a a Friday and a, a half a day on Saturday where we are investing in our families. We're continuing to build relationship. We're continuing to hold their hands, talking through adoption-related issues like responding to behaviors and sensory needs and transracial issues, but also adding into some of the things that Dr. Rick does so well, you know, how to disciple your child from hard places, you know, how to invest in your marriage. Uh, And it is, and I'll tell anybody, people will ask me, well, tell me about reading life. I said, this is the best thing we've ever done at Lifeline. We've done a lot of great things here at Lifeline with the Lord's just, and I don't say we, I hate to say it that way, but like with the Lord's just guidance and blessing and those those continue move forward, move forward, do this. Um, and when families come together here at Rooted in Love, it is a team effort. They're coming from all over the United States and are they're meeting their their caseworkers in person for the first time. They're spending time with other families that are going to be adopting from the same country. Um, it is just truly a, a weekend of uh, community that I, I just, you know, a community that's built on Christ uh, and sharing the gospel. And I think that that is has been one of the one of the best things that that we've ever done at Lifeline and families see the value in it. Um, and again, it's that relationship where we're going to be with that family through the heart because there will be hard um and we're going to be with that family as they you know walk this journey and as they travel and bring their children home um and it's just been so neat to be able to see that growth in in this area while we've grown in countries and we've added more countries and we've added more states but to seeing uh the growth in adding this type of service and even along with you know our counseling service our um our bridge education service um Holly, I just think that that's amazing. Like, you know, our bridge education, walking alongside families on how to advocate and how to get their kids the helps they need in school and in education and having those tutors and our and our counseling service that, that we have with counselors on staff in several of our locations. Uh, and then parent coaching has been just phenomenal uh, for our families that have brought kiddos home that just need a little extra support Um, it's just been amazing to, to see that growth. And I, when I, as I talk about it, I just still cannot, cannot believe how God has continued to bless and be able to help us grow and, and just build community and relationships with families.
0: I know, I know we touched on this just a little bit sassy, but we also talked about how we have seen, um, the church step up, but you know, one of the major initiatives we have as we step into the future is to see more domestic adoption around the world, especially from the global church, where the global church sees that call as not a Western response to orphan and vulnerable children, but as a global response to orphan and vulnerable children. And obviously we believe in permanence, we believe in family. And so what do you see for the future, not just in Colombia or Costa Rica, but around the world of domestic adoption?
4: We, so many exciting things. Um, I think one thing is just he, being here over the years, a lot of people from our church, our local church in Bogota, Colombia, started asking us, like, why do you do what do you do? Why are you involved in orphan care? And so my husband, Oscar, and I were able to just share the gospel with them of, you know, how how Christ does have a heart that God has always had a heart for the vulnerable and their community. And of course, he wants families to be preserved first and foremost, if and when possible. And then, when, when that is not possible, the child not languishing in an orphanage and having all those impacts, but really, really having a forever family and a forever family that's going to represent Christ to them, you know, being called into the kingdom of God and to the family of God. And so as we began to have those conversations, I felt like it was clicking all the way much faster than we ever anticipated. And it just became a wildfire. And um, I think Oscar and you, Herbie and Rick, just being able to pour into our local pastors of just doctrine, just good doctrine of what does the Bible say about this? I think it just started a passion here on the ground and a fire here on the ground of, okay, what do we do? What do we do next? And so being able to share with them the continuum, um, just the cycle of orphan care of how, you know, like I said, we want to start with prevention as much as possible. And um, Lifeline has cultivated all those resources that Jana was just talking about. And as a response to our families and our local church partners in the U S being able to look at those and say, man, there's just nothing in some other languages. It is just impossible to be here on the ground and find a lot of good Christian, um, not even just Christian, but just good adoption education materials and orphan care materials and in people's native languages. So how are they going to be equipped? We're, we're growing and equipping ourselves and our families how can we do the same in these other countries? And so, um, as you know, we have had the Unadopted team the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and they built all these incredible relationships with people all over the globe. You know, we've got partners in India, and we've got partners in China, we've got partners in Latin America all over, and partners all throughout Africa and Eurasia. And just getting to know them the last couple of years, for me personally, getting to know them has just been really special in seeing that we all have the same needs, Right. Like, yes, we all need to know what does the Bible say? How does God call us to this? And then when he does, how do we do it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we how do we do this in community together? How do we do this practically in supporting these kiddos and do it in their heart languages and their native languages? And so I think for the next couple of years, um, as we are growing and getting really excited about what's to come, um, we are just really working very hard to contextualize a lot of our our materials and translate them into some, some native languages Um, just so that way, as we build those relationships with local churches and local ministries on the ground, um, we can, you know, do so in their language and equip their equip them to equip their community, their church community. And so we've already started a hope fund scholarship of empowering local families when they need financial support, just um, they're able, like a family in Costa Rica just applied a Costa Rican family, in Costa Rica, just applied for our Hope Fund Scholarship, a Colombian family in Colombia just applied for our Hope Fund Scholarship. And um, I'm just, I am stoked. I think this is going to be really sweet to see, you know, we're not asking them to join this mission. God's asking them to join this mission. And as our brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we come alongside them and empower them to do what God has called them to do? And so as we get these resources ready, I think that's number one. And then number two, I think just building a network and a community throughout the nations and just seeing the church complement the church, you know, the body of Christ really being the hands and feet to one another for his mission and his kingdom. I think, um, I think we're going to see a lot of proactive responses from our local churches on behalf of these kiddos. And I'm just, I think that's where it has to start and that's the direction we're heading. And it's just um, beyond words. So. Yeah.
0: And I, I love this intervention in the way that we're able to come alongside of the global church and to help so many kids that need home and um, that maybe these kids that international adoption can't reach or maybe it's the not not the best for them Absolutely. Um, but overall we still very much believe in international adoption there are kids that will not find Absolutely. a home they will not find a place they will not survive they will not thrive if they are not adopted internationally and so we're grateful that the Lord has given us the ability to have such a holistic ministry, but holistic ministry doesn't mean that it replaces, things replace something else. It means they work together in coordination in order that we can truly see the gospel go forth and manifested to orphan and vulnerable children. Well, you know, Dr. Rick, we've heard so many good things and I'd love, bro, just you close us out on some last thoughts that you would give as you hear these comments and you think of these things And you just think about where we're going as international adoption in the future.
1: Yeah. You know, Herbie, the first thing is maybe the most obvious. And and that is that, that the gospel stands preeminent in the center of all this. And I know that's, that's one of the things we all agree about that there are, there are going to be opportunities that are going to come and go, and there are going to be geopolitical situations that are going to happen and resolve and all kinds of things that impact, um, you know how we care for orphan and vulnerable children, but at the end of the day, the thing that doesn't change in the middle of it is Jesus, and you know, and our need to be able to point um, kids and adults and and everyone through the way that we're caring for vulnerable children. And I think you know, really, you you made kind of the important point. I think one of the, one of the things I think we we run a great danger of in in the body of Christ is we we tend to start talking about these things in in terms of like the different solutions being a zero sum game. And so it's almost like people start choosing up their camps or, you know, I'm in the family reunification camp, or I'm in the, you know, I'm in the camp of, of, you know, seeking adoption within cultures, or I'm, you know, I'm in the international adoption camp. And, and, and the truth is um, God has given us a problem so complex that we, that we'll never solve. Um, but he's also given us a problem that causes us to have to work together and it causes for a multiplicity of solutions. And and it really does humble us to being in a place where um, the, the thing that we all can agree about is the gospel. And so it's it. it but but there's a place for all of the things and, and for all of the ways. And it's like I've said, you know, I've said for years, international adoption is certainly not the right answer for. Our ministry to every child, but but undeniably, we know that international adoption is the exact right solution today for some children, and and God has, you know, God has given us that as a tool, and I think we, those of us that have been a part of this, who have grown our families through adoption and have worked with families and have, you know, have come alongside churches that are that are trying to empower this kind of work, I mean, I, I think the thing that we that, that we most can point to in in the midst of all this is um, the, the good things that happen don't happen because of human, in, you know, invention. They happen because, because God purposes, you know, families and children to be brought together. God purposes children to raise up around them. And, and at the end of the day um, we have these incredible stories that are that are built that give us the opportunity to point to the greater truth of what it is that Christ has done for us all. Um, and so just thankful in my own life and in, in the life of my own family and for a lot of people that are like us that um, that that our our story falls so so far short of the gospel. Um, but the truth is we can't tell our story without kicking the door wide open um, to talk to people about Jesus. And I'm, I'm just thankful to to have one of those stories
0: men. So we look forward to seeing what the Lord will do and accomplish through international adoption, both international adoption that happens on a domestic level, as well as international adoption, seeing families come home uh, to forever kids. So we're praying that even with all the things that are going on in our country now and our world now, uh, that ways will open up for more kids to find a home.